And we've been in our series on the Son of God. We watched the movie together as uh, all the campuses came together and all the campuses are doing these uh, messages. Uh, so we're really uh, participating with all the other campuses of Gateway Church together throughout the city. We're studying the same passages of Scripture. So it's pretty neat to be doing that. But we attended the movie together and um, we've been in this series. And today we finish our series with the title, The Coming King. And normally this is a message that would be preached on uh, Palm Sunday, if you will. I have a, another message for Palm Sunday as this one uh, fits in our series. And the big idea of our message today is that Jesus rules as king where he is received as king. Jesus rules as king where he is received as king. You know, you think about it, everybody wants to back a winner, right? How many of you sign on to back a loser? How many, how many of you supporting a team right now that has, has lost in the championship? <coughs> Damon. It is funny. I, I had lunch with Damon on Friday, and, uh, you know, I'll tell you what. Uh, he came in. We're having lunch together. It's a, it's a wonderful day, and he came in all mad. And I was like, what's wrong? He goes, my team lost, you know. But at least he supports his team, right? And uh, it's Duke, by the way, and uh, they've won a lot of championships. They've definitely been in the championships numerous times. Damon could have my pain, you know. I'm a Bengals fan. I understand that's basketball, okay, I don't tend to follow basketball a whole lot, even though I'll be playing it today. My son-in-law has um, enslaved me, I think is what the word for it is. It's a birthday favor. Is that what it is? That birthday favor goes on for weeks. But I support the Bengals, even though they just can't seem to win. You know, everybody backs a winner. You know, we tend to, you know, support those teams that 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 do win. How many of you got on the bandwagon with the Broncos when they went this year, but really aren't a Broncos fan? Raise your hand and be honest. A few of you are like, okay, I'm going to support the Broncos, right? It's the championship. <clears throat> well, I think that Jesus at this time, the triumphal entry, if you will, is what we're going to read about in this passage. If you will, this is a winning moment for Jesus. He's entering into the city, Jerusalem. All the miracles, signs and wonders that have been done. All these things we've been talking about where the Son of Man and the Son of God, if you will, is manifesting among people. Miracles, signs and wonders. He's entering the city of Jerusalem and it is a triumphal entry. This is a winning moment, if you will. Let's read. Starting at verse 28. After telling this story... Jesus went on towards Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As they came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two, two disciples excuse me, ahead. Go into the village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks why you are untying the, that colt, just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments 
on the road ahead of him. When they reached the place where the road uh, started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings, Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for, they, uh, for saying things like that. He replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. But as they came closer to Jerusalem and Jesus saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all peoples would understand the way of peace. But now it is too late. And peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in this place in place because you did not accept your opportunity for salvation. This moment that Jesus is coming in, you know, they're shouting praises to him. It's a winning moment. All the wonderful miracles that were done, they are celebrating him. Not only are they throwing their garments down before him, a donkey walking across their garments, in a sense as a, as a, a, a form of homage to him. King, they're, they're laying their garments. You know, it's, it's not good enough for that donkey to walk on dirt. He needs to be walking on garments. So it's a sense of, of, of paying homage to the king that's entering into the city. Again, what we know is the triumphal entry. It's such a triumph. All this time that Jesus has faced his, his, uh, his critics in, uh, in the midst of all the miracles and everything that's going on, he faces all this criticism. But in this moment, he is being worshipped and he's being praised. Now, if you think about it, up till this time, every time a miracle was done, whenever those things took place, whenever great things took place and people wanted to worship him, what would he do? He forbid them to do it. He would heal somebody and say, go and tell no one. He would perform a miracle and he would, he would charge them to tell no one of it. He would perform a miracle and he'd say, go and show yourselves to the priest. See, he was keeping the law. At this moment, though, entering into the city, they basically, basically, you know, the, the, the feasts that were taking place in that time, this is a time they're celebrating the Passover, that on this day, Seven days later, he's going to die on a cross and give his life for the sins of mankind. But on this day, he doesn't charge anybody to stop. As a matter of fact, when his critics come and criticize him for what they're doing, which is blasphemy, if you will, he tells them that if they was to stop praising me, the very rocks along this road would begin to cheer for me. It's his moment to be accepted as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The the Messiah, if you will, is entering into Jerusalem and people are recognizing it and he's not going to silence them any longer. Why? As I shared last week and a little bit a couple weeks prior to that, because in this very moment, things are shifting. They're shifting in history. History is being written in a way that it has never been written before. Why? It's the fulfillment of the law and the prophecies that had come that he was the one. And what he's saying is, is after after Passover, 
No longer will the blood of bulls and goats satisfy for sin. Because I have given myself, and once and for all, sin has been satisfied. The final sacrifice has been given. The Lamb of God, as proclaimed by John the Baptist, that takes away the sins of the world, was riding in on a colt. Riding in on a donkey that had never been ridden. There, the indication of that is that, that when people offered to God during the time of Passover, when they brought to Him, they didn't bring an animal they were using. They didn't bring an animal that you know they uh, had used in the fields. or They brought the spotless without blemish. They brought the best of their fold to Him. It's, a, it's an indication of they brought their purest offering to him at the time of Passover. And so Jesus says, go and get this donkey. By the way, I want to just say to you, in that moment where the disciples go, I mean, they're walking there. You know, so often we'll read the story and we go over things and we don't actually see, you know, what's going on. I just want to know, as his disciple, if he asked you to go and you know, go to this place and get this colt that's never been ridden. I want you to go and untie that colt. And if anybody asks you why you're doing that, say the Lord needs it. Now, any of you that run a business or you work for a business, if somebody came in, let's do it this way, grocery store, and you walk in and you start taking things off the, the shelf and you're walking out the front door, how's that going to go for you? You, think, you know, and they're like, hey, what are you doing? You're like, the Lord needs it. And you keep on going, right? What Jesus told them to say, they said, and it sufficed for that person. It was good enough. Why? Because it was his donkey or her donkey. I don't know whose donkey it was, but it was somebody's donkey. And all I know is it sufficed for them. And they took the donkey and left. And they didn't chase him down. They didn't stop him, did they? This moment. Everything that had been prophesied by the, uh, the prophet uh, Zechariah, that's what's going on. Let's go on. I want to read a few things to you here. When you think of what's going on with them worshiping, and what we see is Zechariah 9 and verse 9, and it says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look. Your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt is what Zechariah 9.9 says. See, I think that what's going on here where the people are worshiping and what choice, the choice that we end up with in our lives, we're going to worship something. We're going to worship someone. And you think about watching people cheer for a football team. Watching how they're affected by teams that they support you know in in the realm of sports or you know not to to leave anybody out but for for those that would support things like you know music how many of you watch american idol and and shows like that how many enjoy those kind of shows anybody see the nun sing you saw it you know here's all these rock stars and everything they're all you know their backs are to the singer and 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 uh, they're listening, and this person starts belting it out, and you see her this long, you know, black robe with her 
you know, nun's hat on and everything, and she's just belting this song out. And, and finally, this one guy, he's a rocker, you know, skull tattoos all over him, and he spins around and sees her, and, and just jaw-dropping moment, right? While their backs are, are to the nun, the interesting thing is the whole crowd has gone nuts. They're going crazy over this woman and, and how she's singing. Everybody loves a winner, right? And we're going to worship something. I find it interesting that, that many of these shows, American Idol or, or, or you know, uh, You've Got Talent or whatever it may be, that what happens is, is man has this way, if they don't worship their creator, of shifting into this place of worshiping the creation in one fashion or another. And I'm not saying that her singing good was bad. I'm saying you've got to see the context of what's going on there. We are wired for worship. God created us for worship. And if we don't worship him, we will worship something. And I watch that, and what's interesting, here is a rock star that spins around and sees this nun. Now what's interesting is what you see begin to happen to him. Everybody else starts turning around. There's one lady that takes the longest time to turn around. I don't really watch this stuff, you can tell. But I got to see that video, and I thought it was amazing. But this rocker's eyes start to well up with tears. And I'll tell you what I said there. Nobody knows why. Oh, because she's so good. I, I believe the reason why is because he's seen the affection of others toward himself. And that in him, in him is the same wiring that God put in all of us to worship him and him alone. Come on now. And you see his eyes welling up with tears. And I thought to myself, God, what is going on there? And you know what? Somewhere, somehow, at some point in his life, he shifted to that place of receiving worship unto himself. And inside, I believe this with all my heart. And you can go read the book of Romans and you'll find it to be true. That the book of Romans says that no man, say no one. Because when it says that, it means mankind. That no one. No one will stand before God with excuse. We're like, what, what if they didn't hear about it? No one will stand before God with excuse. We were without excuse. We were made by him. And he placed something on the inside of us that knows that we are meant to worship. The question is, what are we worshiping? And over the past few weeks, we've seen that he is the son of man. He's the sinner's friend. He's the anointed one, and today he is the coming king. And on that day, he was worshipped, and he did not deny them that place of worshipping him. And set himself to go in and, 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 and give his life a ransom, as the Bible says, for many. And that no one took his life from him. The Bible declares him to say that no one takes my life from me. It's mine. I give it freely. He gave his life for us. I want you to watch as this clip plays and gives us that glimpse of the triumphal entry. Hmm. You think about what you see there in that last little scene. God didn't come to the world to make war with man. God came to the world in flesh to make peace with man. That's what was declared on the night of his birth peace and goodwill 
And you see this happening, although they're acknowledging him as the Messiah, much to do with the miracles and the signs and wonders, everything that they saw lined up with who the Messiah was meant to be. They just didn't perceive how he was going to come. They wanted to take matters, if you will, in, you know, or approach the issue that they faced with the Romans and the rest of the world from a carnal standpoint, not from a spiritual one. God brought a spiritual answer, amen? Jeremiah 23, 5-6 says, For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. And this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. In that day, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. See, the people of Jesus' day fully understood the nature of how the Messiah was going to come. That all those things, you know, depicted him. But they could not grasp, could not grasp that what Jesus was doing and going to the cross was exactly how he was sent. He was sent to pay the price for our sin so that we would be at peace with God through his work by his grace towards us. Amen. So, again, Jesus will rule as king where he's received as king. You know, you see everybody getting on the bandwagon that day. Even Barabbas, who got his freedom because of Jesus coming. Think about it this way. Barabbas, what would you think Barabbas was destined to suffer? He was a murderer, right? He stirred up dissension, you know, where the Romans were concerned. You've seen it or read it or saw the movie. Barabbas stirred up all that dissension. Barabbas was a murderer. See, what Jesus suffered, that was where Barabbas was going. And in that moment, you see that, that interaction. Even though we may not read that in Scripture, the whole point of that is to, to bring to, to light the attitude of the Jews as a whole was that Jesus is going to come and he's going to set up his kingdom now and we're going to be in charge and he's going to overthrow all these people. And in reality, when Jesus wrote in, sorry, <coughs> what we read is Jesus tells them that not one stone will stand upon another. That the city of Jerusalem will be overthrown. And he's entering in and they're celebrating him, but he has, if you will, the prophet has prophesied what is going to come to pass. And I will say to you, that's exactly what happened. The armies surrounded that city and destroyed it, just as Jesus said that they would. <clears throat> whether you have known him a long time, or you're still asking whether Jesus is the one, he will rule as king where he is received as king. Many of us have made that decision to receive Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords in our life. See, the Bible says that um, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, you shall be saved. I've heard the statement before that, well, you've made him your Savior, you just haven't made him your Lord. And I submit to you, he can't be your Savior if you don't acknowledge him as Lord. It takes bended knee. It takes that place of acknowledging him as above and you as beneath coming under his lordship so that you might benefit from all that he died on the cross to provide for you but you must come under his lordship to receive that when i say his lordship i don't think that's exempt of his kingdom amen he is a king if you recognize that uh, jesus as a king who was 
promised and uh, receive him as a king and serve him as a king, then I suggest to you that there's a few things that will take place. One, we do what Jesus says. We'll do what Jesus says. Look at, uh, again, at Luke chapter 19, we're going to look at verse 29 through 35. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and, and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into the village over there, he told them, and as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that uh, no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you untying that colt? Why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. When you, what you see here with the disciples, Jesus said, go do that. Guess what? They went and did it. You know, I, I bet on the way they're thinking, you know, aren't we stealing? I mean, you know, isn't this stealing? Nope. The Lord needs it. And they get permission to go ahead and take it because they weren't stopped. <clears throat> the Bible also doesn't tell us, if you will, what they talked about on the way. It doesn't, it doesn't depict what their conversation might have looked like, as I've said. But uh, it could have been like this. You really think we should just untie the colt and take it? You think the master knows the owner? You think this is a test of some kind for us? You really think they'll just let us walk off with their colt? I mean, wouldn't you be saying that I mean, if, it, if it's owned by somebody else? <clears throat> but they did it. And I say this. It's the same for us. Watch this. Oftentimes, and I, I want to depict it this way for you. Oftentimes, when we come to the Lord, it's an interesting thing. To acknowledge Him as King is to understand that everything we have is His. That when, be it in discipleship, when we're reading the Word, when we encounter somebody, you know, as a believer, a pastor, a message that's being preached, how often do we get offended when something is, is proclaimed to us that asks us to give something to the Lord? The Lord asks for it. Give you an example of how us submitting and recognizing him as king and Lord comes to the test. When he asks for the tithe, how does that affect you? When he says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be meat in his house, how does that affect you? I'll tell you how it affects most of the church, only 30% of the church in America, tithe. Why do, I, why do I tackle that one? I tackle that one because it's the big one. You know, it's the mother of all challenges when it comes to us in our pursuit and our faith in God. It's the test of our finances. I didn't line it out. God lined it out. Jesus proclaimed himself this statement, you cannot serve God and mammon. You'll love the one and hate the other. It's like, no, I, I love God, but I struggle in giving the tithe. Right, it's okay for you to struggle, but sooner or later, there comes that place of obedience that the Lord has asked for it, and guess what? It's His. Let Him have it. Amen? That's, I know that's a tough one. See, I think that if we can, if we can part from, from that when God asks for it, 
be it that it's, um, you know, I've watched this with husbands and wives. I've watched, you know, it be a husband that, that knows and, and feels a conviction we need to be tithing and the wife struggles with it or flip that. You know what? The greatest challenge in being a pastor is watching people that need God to bless them and work in their life, but yet he, they withhold from him and hope that he'll still do that. Now, here's what is amazing about God's grace. He will, but his spirit will not strive with you forever. In other words, he's a good parent. My kids mess up. I don't like, you know, banish them from my house, but I certainly keep teaching them the right way to do things. Come on now. You guys are quiet. I know it's hard. It's hard on my flesh too, you know. It begins with the tithe, but it goes so much further than that. Let me, let me, let me go here. What happens when he asks you to forgive somebody that you don't want to forgive? If you don't forgive, you're not. If you withhold, do you receive? You see where I'm coming from. If he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords and he is your savior and you recognize that and you receive that from him and then withhold it from others, the question is, do you have a revelation of what that really is for yourself? I don't know why I'm so dry this morning. <clears throat> Look at John 12, 16. His disciples didn't understand at the time <clears throat> that this was the fulfillment of prophecy but after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. That's what they're realizing. Let me draw that into some realization for us. <clears throat> Every single one of us will stand before him one day and give an account for our lives. Say, I am a steward. I am a steward of everything God's given me. I'm a steward of finances. I'm a steward of my children, for, that, for those that applies to. I am a steward of my relationships. I am a steward of all. Come on, folks. I'm a steward of all that God has blessed me with. And one day, I'll give an account for it. So, when you understand that, how do you want to live your life? I want to live my life and live it pleasing to him so that when I stand before him, he says these words. You ready? Say, he is a king and I am a servant. <laughs> That's a hard one for us, man. We're free people, right? Americans are free. We're nobody's servant. Yes, we are. He'll say, enter in, thou good and faithful servant. Luke 19, 36 through 38. Let's go on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. Again, it's that homage. Look, it's no different for us if we acknowledge him as king. You know, I'm not asking you to rip your shirt off right now. Jesus isn't riding a colt in here. But let me say this to you. That it does come to that place of the same respect that they showed that day to him as a king. That we pay him homage. I, I don't know who said this. I, I, I heard it recently. I think Damon might have said it one day. I don't want to offer to God. I don't want to give God anything that doesn't cost me something. You know, if, if it doesn't cost me anything, I don't, want to, I don't want to say, hey, God, look at what I'm giving to you. I want to bring to God something that declares to him, I hold you in highest esteem in my life and nothing else. 
takes that seat of worship. Nothing else takes that highest place of what belongs to you. And that is my whole heart. That somehow I'm able to look at my life and say, is there anything that God would ask for that I would say, no, sorry, Lord, that one's off limits. Because if I do, then that thing has risen to a higher place than God in my life. Come on now. There's an amen there for sure. Listen to this. It goes on and he says, he reached the place in the road that started down the Mount of Olives. All of his fathers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessing on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. The streets erupted with a sound of singing and shouting until, and and then we go, uh, verse uh, 39. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. Rebuke your followers for holding you in high esteem. Rebuke those that would, would lift Jesus above all on this earth. See, Pharisees still exist because some would declare... Well, Buddha and Jesus and Muhammad and all of them, they're all in the same category, see? They're all God. You hearing me here? I'm sorry. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you know the Bible says, have no other gods. This is one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? God's actually saying, look, I know you're going to have other things that you hold in high esteem, But you are to have no other God that's held in higher esteem than me. That's what he's declaring. He knows you're going to be, you know, I'm affectionate towards Angie. There's an element. It's not worship, but it is. There's affection. It's relationship. It's, you know, Angie and I, next to God and I, stand up, baby. Right? Here's the deal. When I worship God and I I love on God, right, I, I hug him. You're all like, man, he has really lost his mind now. His cheese has done slid off his cracker, all those wonderful things. He's got bats in the belfry, right? No, I, when I worship or I read the Bible, I'm, just, I'm imagining myself with my heavenly father, and he is right there with me. He is there with me. I may not feel him physically all the time, but he is there because his word declares he will never leave me nor forsake me. Well, you guys are quiet today. Is it too serious? You all are still stuck on the tithe thing. Look, um, let me go ahead and put you at rest on that. Let me say this. God doesn't want you giving anything grudgingly or of necessity. He loves a cheerful giver. If that rocked your world and made you real quiet, then here's the deal. Until you can be cheerful about it, right? It's not about manipulation, so just be at ease, okay? Now stand up, honey. (laughs) Here's the deal. I love this one. I love this woman more than anybody else on the planet, hands down. Next to her, I love my kids more than anybody else on the planet. Next to them, I could say that it wouldn't be my extended family. It would be this family. It's the family of God. Let me say that I love God so much, and I'm sorry, honey, I'm going to throw you under the bus a little bit. Is that all right? Sure Sure it is. Because you can throw me under the bus when you share I try to get her to preach. Who wants to see Angie preach? Come on now, huh? You're in trouble now. 
Uh, so here's the deal is that we've had those moments when Angie will come to me and say, well, I think this and that. And I'm like, well, honey, you know, God would really want us to do this and that. And she goes, well, I don't care. This is how I feel. And, you know, that all that stuff starts. And I'm, I'm like, well, baby, you know, I love you, but that's not going to happen. Because this is what God would ask us to to do. Say somebody hurts us or mistreats us and you know you get offended and hurt you gotta let that stuff go right and there's times i've had to call her to account on that when she wants me to join in with her and it's easy for us to take offense for people we love you mess with my wife you're messing with me you mess with the bull you get the horns you know what i'm saying but if you mess with my wife you're messing with me has to be submitted to him if he has true lordship over us, what we understand is that we fall short of the glory of God as much as anybody else does, right? So you have to wrestle with those things and find that place of releasing and forgiving, okay? So here, here's the deal, though. Here's how this works with Angie. You can sit down. This one's going to be harder on me than that one was on you. Uh, time in our marriage and in life when, when I don't want to live for God anymore. People have hurt me, offended me, and I'm just done with all of this. And I remember she's like, honey, why don't we go to church? I don't want to go to church anymore. Why? Because I got hurt at church. So I'm not going anymore. I'm just done. She'd get me to go on special holidays. I'm like, fine, you know, for the kids, for you, I'll go. And so we would go. And then somebody would come. I'm sitting back, you know, about where Ken Wick is one time in a congregation. This person, you know, they come up and introduce themselves. shake my hand. Like, how you doing? It's good to have you with. Hey, are you a pastor? Like, dude, I'm not coming back. And I wouldn't come back to that church, correct? We go to the next church. And they go, hey, it's nice to meet you. Are you a pastor? What the world, you know? Look, you can make your bed in hell. But if you've given your life to the King of kings and Lord of lords, and you say that you're his, and here's what I know, he's already called you his own. If that's the case, you can make your bed in hell, but you can't get away from him. You can end up in the belly of a great fish, but I promise you, you'll come to this conclusion. Get me out of here and I'll do whatever you want me to do, Lord. Come on now. And so here we are. Every time that would happen, I'd say, I'm not going to church. I'm just done. And finally we go, she's, it's Easter Sunday, and she's like, honey, please, let's go to church. I'm like, okay, we'll go to church. And so the kids got new dresses. I think the girls had the little cowboy dresses, right, and the boots and stuff. Was that the Sunday? Anyway, we're all dressed up, you know, cute as can be, you know, in tow, going into the church. We sat down, the pastor preaches on that Sunday, and he preaches about Jonah in the belly of a great fish. And as he's doing that, he's sharing a little bit, and he says, do we have any Jonahs in the room? And I'm like, I am. He's like, uh, uh, and he, he lost track of his message. He couldn't preach. <laughs> kind of like, man, that guy's pretty honest. I mean, that was, you know. But here's what it came to. See, that morning, something happened in my heart as I'm hearing that. And ultimately, this woman, I can go back, and here's the, here's the hard hit on it, where, where she's saying, we need to do what Jesus asks us to do. We need to be obedient to him. I'm like, I'm not going to church anymore. When I say that, she goes, you know what, Derek? You're not going to keep me from worshiping my God. You're not my God. And she was right about that, and I knew that, but fine, then go worship your God. I still love him, but I'm not going to church. 
Hmm. Needless to say, that morning, it all shifted. It was a huge, you were praying, actually, don't let anybody come up to him. Please don't let anybody come up to him, Lord. And instead, that word came straight from the pulpit. And I already knew. Look, you know where you're at. You realize that? Nobody knows better about where you're at right now. Nobody knows better about where I'm at than me and God. No one knows better about where you're at right now in your relationship to God than you and God. And that's why it's so important to take that time with him. Just like I said last week, find that spot. Find that spot where you can pour your heart out. You can be bad at him. He's not, look, can I say that God is stronger than us? He's greater than us. He's more than capable. Anybody's kids ever like talk to him the way they shouldn't? Really? Wow, man, that's amazing. Anybody's kids ever talk to him in a way they shouldn't? You think God doesn't get that about us? We're like, God, but this and this and this. And you pour your heart out. And then you finally get that moment from him that's like Job when he starts talking to you about who he is. When you pour your heart out and you have nothing else to say and you're like, okay, I'm done. There's nothing else. Okay, great. Now I can talk to you. And he starts laying it out for you. And you start to realize who he is. And then the moment comes where you think, it's probably better for me to be in covenant with him, to be under him, than it is for me to be out there all by myself doing it my way. And in that moment, Here's what I'll tell you. In that moment is where God can do great things on your behalf. In the place where you're obedient to him. Amen. The second thing is we need to feel what Jesus feels. So I want to look at 1941 through 44 here. We need to feel what Jesus feels. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not accept your opportunity for salvation. Look, something Something happened on the ride that we don't talk about too often as well. And that is, we get caught up in the crowd and the shouts and the emotion. It's kind of like, it's like this. I know that my brother and I have been Bengals fans from kid all the way to where we are today. And God willing, one day they will win a championship. Here's the part that's different. There will be people whom we've seen abandon that team that will come back and they will be on the bandwagon. You know what I'm saying? There's a day that Jesus is coming back and I promise you, yeah, I believed in him too, you know. Get what I'm saying? Question is, how did you live your life? Did you live your life believing in him? Or is it, uh, you know, I'd like to get out of what I've got to answer for. Therefore, look, that's not going to fly with him. Can you understand where I'm, I'm coming from there? You know, uh, in other words, um, a lie will never uh, dwell where the truth is. See, if I'm a diehard Bengals fan, 
what happens is, is my brother and I can talk about all the times we thought we're going to the championship, we're going to the Super Bowl, and we know all those things like the back of our hand. Who else has a team like that? You know what I'm saying? We can look at, at, at living our life for Christ, and you want to know something in a congregation, a, a church congregation, in the church as a whole? Here's what history depicts for us. We see the, the wins and the losses of the church. We see it in the New Testament, all through it. There's a reason why Paul wrote Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. You got Ephesians, you got Colossians, you got Galatians. Look, the Galatians, the Galatians all of a sudden were reverting back to the law. And if I keep this rule and this rule and this rule, I'm good to go. And Paul says, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Have you begun in the spirit and now you'll be complete in the flesh? See, there was, there was wins and there was losses. And you want to know something? That works all the way down to us as believers. What's your testimony? What's your story? Is your story a story of working out your salvation? Striving? When I say striving, I don't mean, you know, working hard at it. But more so allowing him to work in you and being willing to be submitted in obedience so that he can work on your behalf. And ultimately bringing you to that place of where you feel what Jesus feels. Here's the deal. When you fail, when you fall short, what do you feel? How many of you would, how many of you would say that, you know, I really sometimes feel a sense of condemnation. I feel like, a, you know, man, I'll never get it right. Who, whoever thinks that about themselves when they fall short? Like, man, I just am never going to get it right. You know, there's this, this connection of, man, I love God, but I just can never get it right. Do you want to know something? That's the wrong way of thinking. If you feel like Jesus feels, see, when he sees Israel, he sees it for what's going to happen. But he also knows what he's bringing for them. And if they can acknowledge that, salvation has come to Jerusalem. Does that make sense to you? See, they've got all their trust and their hope. We put all our trust and hope in the things we own and everything we have around. We tend to put it in the physical realm. But I want to know that in those moments when, when things aren't going so well, can we shift from that physical realm and say, you know, this doesn't matter as much as this matters. And God doesn't see me this way. God sees me this way. God sees me as one that his son was given for. God sees me as one that he, he spoke these words, work out your salvation with fear and trembling unto God. The fear and trembling, why is that in there? Look, you need to have respect. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the coming king. He's high and lifted up, right? And the train of his robe fills the, the temple. Guess what we are? We're the train of his robe. The church, the glory of God is on us. Think about it this way. Why the train of his robe? Because the train of the robe is the only part that drags the ground. It's the only part that drags the ground. The train of his robe. Somebody tell me what a train is. Some of you ladies tell me what a train is. What's a train? You all ain't never been married? You know what a train is? You get me? Oh, my Lord. It's that long part that drags on the, on the floor when you're coming up to, to be married off, right? And so the train, that's the only thing touching the ground. See, and what the church, we're the church. Say, I'm the church. Hey, here's the deal. Guess what? When we got saved, 
We were seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. But somehow I'm not in heaven right now. I'm still on this earth. You go out there and, and you interact with people, you know, and you hear, you know, cuss words, people partying and drinking, rebel, you know, the parties, all the stuff, the works of the flesh. There's still an aspect of encountering that, but you need to know that the glory of who he is and the fact that you're connected to him and you're a part of his body is far greater than anything that you could ever encounter on the face of this earth. Because the Bible says this, that he is making for himself a bride that is ready, white, without spot or wrinkle. Trust me, when he's done with us, none of that stuff is going to matter. So, if none of it's going to matter in that moment, how much should you really focus on it? Very little. Our focus should be on him. And if we can connect with how he actually feels about us, here's what I would say. I think if we can connect how he feels about us, we won't be gripped in those moments with a sense of condemnation. We'll probably be gripped with a sense of conviction. And that conviction, you know what conviction really causes us to do? Conviction, con conviction will never cause you to say, I'm going to work harder at this. Condemnation will cause you to say, I will work harder at this. Conviction actually causes you to say, God, here I am. See, you're more like the publican. Not justifying yourself by the things you do right, like the Pharisee, but you're like the, the tax collector, the publican. And you know what you do? Is you're in that place of saying, Lord, here I am, a sinner. I'm not even worthy. And you know what? You go home justified because you're speaking out of conviction and an understanding of your need for him to perfect you rather than you recognizing yourself through your own thoughts of, I've done this right, and I've done that right, and I've done that right. The problem is, is that if you focus on what you've done right, there's also that other side of the, of the coin, and that is what you've done wrong. It's the law, and you don't want to live by the law. You want to live by grace, amen? And the greatest way to live by grace is to let the love of Christ work within your heart. Um, this place Jesus wept, uh, where, where Jesus wept over the city, where people are worshiping him and all that's taking place where he wept over the city that wasn't just like a tear trickled down his cheek you understand he was broken for jerusalem he was broken for his people because he recognized it as this is it you've missed the time of your salvation no longer will it be you as a people that have been called by god israel it will no longer be you that time has passed now it's to the whole world because the Lamb of God takes away the sins of Jerusalem, takes away the sins of Israel, takes away the sins of the Jews. The Lamb of God takes away what? The sins of the world. And in closing, finally, is uh, we will tell who Jesus is. We'll have no problem talking about who Jesus is to others. Let's look at the conclusion of what it means in Matthew 21, 10 through 11, actually. It says, the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet, no, excuse me, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So Matthew uh, 21, 10 through 11 
shows us a picture of this, that the whole city is in an uproar. Here's what that, that word, if you will, means, that it was stirred. It's the word seo, and it's where we get the word seismic. Can anybody tell me what seismic refers to? Seo, seismic. So it was an uproar. It wasn't just any uproar. It was a serious uproar. Now, here's what history tells us. Josephus. Anybody ever read the works of Josephus? Anybody struggle sleeping at night? If you do, get the works of Josephus next to your bed. Pick it up. I'm telling you, 10 minutes, you're gone, right? It took coffee. I, I think there was a thing called no-dose when I read through that. Uh, it, is, it is tough history to read. But here's the deal. Josephus said... That the population of, of Israel in that time of Jesus was about 20,000 people. And that the population would actually swell to approximately 3 million people. Now imagine Colorado Springs, 500,000 people, and it's swelling with that percentage. It'd be quite tumultuous, wouldn't it? It'd be pretty, you know, loud, wouldn't it? Who, who would be ticked at traffic? Jesus is riding in. Now, here's how it goes, and I'll, I'll be concluding with this. Is that when I was over in, in, in Israel, you got Mount Olive, you've got the Garden of Gethsemane, and you've got the Eastern Road. And the Eastern Road comes through the, the uh, uh, Kidron Valley, and as it comes down, so Mount Olive up here, uh, uh, Garden of Gethsemane here. How many know what was in the Garden of Gethsemane? Olive trees, right? So, so all these olive trees, they call it Mount Olive for a reason. And so all this is here, and this road's coming in, and it goes right up through the Valley Kedron into the Eastern Gate. And Jesus is riding on that road into the Eastern Gate. And you know the Bible says that the king comes by way of the east. In Ezekiel, there's a prophecy that the king will come by way of the east. Do you know that it, to this day, and this is what's interesting because prophecy depicts this, the eastern gate is walled up. To this day, it is walled up. They, they've rebuilt the walls, you know, of the city, and the eastern gate is walled up. Do you know where the Bible says that he'll return? Anybody know? And his foot shall land on Mount Olive. When he returns, the Bible speaks of his foot landing on Mount Olive and that it will split. So here's my thing. There is a, 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 uh, a seismic kind of activity taking place when he's riding on that colt into the city on that day where he is being acknowledged as the king of kings and, Lord, or, you know, the king is coming, the Messiah, and everybody's paying homage. And, and there will be a seismic uh, kind of activity take place on the day that he returns on Mount Olive. And I say that I want to be telling people who Jesus is. See, the Jesus that rode in that day, just because he went to the cross doesn't mean that that story ended, that, well, he must not be a king because he died on a cross. Actually, it's quite the opposite because prophecy said that's exactly what would happen to him. It was declared, cursed is every man that hangs on a tree. Jesus ate the Passover with him. He, he said, you know, uh, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And he was lifted up on that day. And it was a fulfillment of prophecy. But more than that, you know what it was the fulfillment of? It was the fulfillment of God's desire. 
to draw every one of us back into relationship with him through his son. I think that is probably the most amazing thing, and I'm sorry to tear up. The most amazing thing about the gospel is that, that I was not worthy, and I would still consider myself not worthy, but that's not how Jesus feels about me. My obedience to him, my obedience to him is out of my loving relationship. It's not out of the rules of the law. It's not out of a list of do's and don'ts. It's out of, Jesus, I just want to be pleasing to you because of everything that you've done for me. And I feel your love towards me. So in the midst of that, Lord, would you also help me to share with others about how great you are so that they too can come to that place of being obedient to you and having a sense, a feeling of how you feel towards them so that that's what they'll share with others. They wouldn't encounter... They wouldn't encounter grace that's in vain. They would understand that it is a king that they are giving their life over to. And it's not any king. It's a king that gave his life for them. And would you help me to communicate that in such a way that they would sense and feel your love all about them by the power of your Holy Spirit. Because Lord, if the gospel is preached that way, then I know this, that I have loved you with all my heart mind, soul, and strength. I have loved my neighbor as myself. And that, Lord, I've gone into all the world and I've preached the God. I've shared the message, the good news of your work for them so that they have an opportunity to come to you. That's all I want to do in this life, saints. And I encourage you to embrace that, um, if you will, the purpose of why we have been created. Created for worship. That is a love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Share that with others. That's loving your neighbor as yourself. And the Great Commission, go and tell people about this. Help them to do it as well. Amen? As I close this morning, I just want us to, to pray a prayer. If you'd stand to your feet. I want us all to pray this together. Maybe you're in here today, you've never given Jesus your heart, never acknowledged that he gave his life for you, and you're sensing this morning that, you know, I, I want Jesus to know that I, I want to receive that, and uh, I want to follow him with my life. We're all going to pray this together. Lord Jesus, my King, I thank you for all that you've suffered all that you've endured for my sake. I need you. I worship you. I surrender to you. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I accept your death on the cross as the atoning sacrifice for all the wrong that I've done. I ask you to come into my heart to take your place on the throne of my life. To make me a true worshiper. Who worships in truth. And in spirit. And Lord I ask you. Rule over me. As my sovereign Lord. From this moment on. I want us all to pray this as well. Lord Jesus our King. Help us to follow you. Not only in word, but in deed. Help us to do all you say. To feel what you feel for everyone around us. 
and to tell all who, we, who will listen who you are. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And ever, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. That last little bit kind of throws you off. I'm sorry about that. I should have made that clear. God bless you all. You have a great week. We look forward to seeing you here next week.